Hello and welcome to the South American Football Show on the World Football Index. On this week's edition, we'll be looking at the last round of action in the group stage of the Copa Libertadores. To help me discuss that, that round of action, first of all is Simon Edwards based in Colombia. How are you, Simon? Yeah, good, 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 good. Uh, yeah, World Cup coming around the corner, lots of Libertadores to discuss. All is good here in Medellin. How about you, Adam? Yeah, all good here here in Santiago. Thanks, Simon. Um, yeah, enjoying life at the moment. And Tom, I know that you had a disappointing weekend. Uh, how, how are you doing now? And how's life there back in Blighty? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's raining outside right now, which kind of reflects my mood uh, following that playoff final. But at least I've got some Libertadores action to distract me, and obviously the World Cup coming up. So. Looking forward to that. Yeah, well, at least you've got another trip to Carra Road to look forward to, huh? <laughs> exactly. Okay, um, so we'll start this week's pod in Group 6, which saw probably the game of the tournament so far. Well, certainly in terms of drama, anyway, as Estudiantes knew they had to win by two goals against Nacional of Uruguay. And that's exactly what they did. They won, they won 3-1 from a goal down as well, early on. And Tom, I'll come to you to talk about this. The game changed at half-time with the introduction of Colombian forward Juan Odero, who the national defence really had problems dealing with, didn't they? Um, and they also had some some issues dealing with uh, the refereeing decisions as well in the second half. Yeah, it was a classic Libertadores match in, in that sense, really. Lots of drama, lots of controversy, you know, three red cards. Um, and yeah, it was it was looking like Estudiantes were, were probably going out because uh, Zunino got a goal after four minutes. Um, and they'd, they'd had a few attempts. I think Facundo Sanchez hit the post. Milano had forced Conde into a great save. But they went into half-time, uh, 1-0 down, needing three goals to see them sneak sneak out of the group. And yeah, as you said, that's exactly what they did. Um, Odero came on, I think it was a couple of days before his birthday, and and they got a, a penalty about after about an hour, I think it was. There was a handball against Bergesio. Um I think that one was probably fair enough. Um, he definitely looked to sort of save it. I mean, you might maybe say it was a bit too close to the shot but I think that's one that you could probably say that was was fair enough I, th- I think the new FIFA directive on this uh, in the laws of the game is pretty much any handball is is a penalty these days and I think Simon you were you were talking about this as well no yeah I did read that um, a couple of months ago in March I think they came out with that rule that in the penalty box they're going to be stronger and if it's you know if it's a handball if it's yeah, so I think I do think it's more difficult to to make the argument of it not being intentional uh, in the box now, which for me is, you know, difficult to accept. But it is what it is, and I think in this case that rule plus a little bit of a sly lean meant that it was probably probably a fair penalty. Yeah, I definitely think um, after after that rule changed and just the way it looked, I think there's there's no sort of no complaints. But even before that rule change, I think you'd probably have given that given that as a penalty. And then several minutes later, Milano scored. Um, it was a nice pullback from from Sanchez on the right, and and the dream was alive. You know, they were only one goal away from it. Uh, then Bajesio got a second yellow card for a, for a bit of an elbow on De Sabato, which I I, I think looked harsh. What, what do you guys think about that that particular one? 
I haven't got the footage to hand um, at the moment to review it again, but I think my excitement was o- overrode the moment really where, yeah, I wanted a Studiantes to do this. So yeah, no, definitely, and um, and then well, once that once they were a man up as well, um, you kind of thought, okay, they're they're only only need one goal. They're, they've got a man extra, but then Branya got a sent sent off, and that leveled things up. It was like, oh no, is this the opportunity that um, Estudiantes have missed? Um, and then Pavone put Milano through for a one-on-one with the keeper, and he ballooned it over the bar, and he just thought, oh, okay, this isn't going to be Estudiantes' night. Um, Nacional even had a late chance. De La Peña, I think, um, hit the post um, from a header from a corner. Um, but then in... I think it was just into stoppage time, certainly around 90 minutes. Pavoni went down in the box. Um, Arismendi kind of laid his hands on him, but I'd, I think that Pavoni made uh, the most of it and uh, and went down. Otero stepped up and got his second penalty of the game to make it 3-1. Um, and in true Nacional fashion, there was another red card, Christian Oliva, who's, who's a player actually I really like, um, he got he got a second yellow and so that was the third red of the game, and the Nacional players were extremely annoyed with the referee. Uh, confronted him on the pitch afterwards. So, yeah, it was pretty much peak Nacional, peak Libertadores. Um, absolutely fantastic game, lots of drama, and uh, Estudiantes somehow have have snuck through um, when they've been in pretty much terrible form all year and in, in the league and in Libertadores. So. Yeah, credit to them. Yeah, I think I think the change of uh, head coach um, not so long ago also proved a, a big plus point for Estudiantes, no? Yeah, definitely. Um, Lucas Bernardi, someone who I haven't ever really rated in, in any of the jobs that he's done. And yeah, they looked pretty, you know, without direction when he was in, in charge. So I think they've got Leandro Benitez on the bench now. And I think another thing that we have to you know, credit uh, for Estudiantes' progression is the fact that they had hired famous warlock El Brujo Manuel, <laughs> who was on the bench. Um, and he's actually got some form. He, he was there for uh, Argentina's win in Ecuador. And uh, he actually then went into the Independiente game. And as we'll get onto later, he was uh, working his magic there as well. So, Again, another very Libertadores aspect of the game is getting a witch, basically, to help you out. Yeah, Veron was up there in the stands. He didn't look very amused um, for a lot of the game, even when they were getting those late winners. He was very cool and calm and collected. But, yeah, everyone was going crazy. A lot of former players were in the stands as well, like Marcus Rocco. And, uh, yeah, so the combination of all, all that magic on the pitch and off the pitch has uh, got them through. Yeah, I just wanted to have a quick uh, point on Nacional as well. Disappointing they've been eliminated. At times, they were quite impressive. This group didn't necessarily look like the most exciting. It looked fairly even. But I was impressed by Nacional, especially Espino, the left-back, uh, flying up and down the wings, was a player that really impressed me. So disappointing for Nacional because they put up a good fight and in another group, I think they would, would have progressed. Um, they impressed me at times. A bit more, A bit more than just the rugged... Uruguayan spirits. They had a they had a bit about them, and uh, yeah, disappointing to see them go out. But obviously, Estudiantes did the business and, and got the win. Yeah, I would agree with that. I thought Nacional were were definitely going to get through, especially when they took the lead. 
they've been so solid defensively, especially at home uh, in this tournament. And I think maybe you could partly put down put their elimination down to the fact that Guzman Corujo, really good young defender, uh, did his a- ACL quite recently, and so they had to sort of didn't have their first choice back line in this game, and I think that probably harmed them as well. But especially after they won the Apertura, I thought I thought Nacional would would come through here. But yeah, credit to Estudiantes. And the other game in the group saw Santos draw nil nil at home with Real Casalaso of Peru. Um, that left the group looking like this. So Santos go through. As as uh, as group winners on ten points, Estudiantes, as we've just discussed, sneak through in second on eight points. Uh, Nacional claim the Copa Sudamericana spot, although they obviously wished it was it was the last sixteen of the Libertadores instead. I don't think there's anything to say, is there, Tom, about the Santos uh, match? <laughs> no, it was. I mean, I only saw the highlights of this, but they were just. It was a bit of a dead rubber, really. Uh, I know, but at the same time, I, th- I think Santos showed that even though they came top of the group here, um, they're probably not nothing too special. I think they're bottom of all the group winners. I think they were the sort of the ones with the least points and, and goal difference. So, yeah, you had Rodrigo and Gabigol trying a few things, but it was a really poor game, and Garcilaso really didn't offer anything um, disappointing from them as well as after after their initial first good result and they've ne- they didn't really capitalize on that so yeah the less said about this game the better indeed so let's move on to group two um which saw probably one of the dallas games of the week as well but it was a lot more important than that santos clash uh, and that was Atletico Nacional nil, Colo Colo nil. This result combined with uh, Bolivar 2, Delphin 1, meant that both Atletico Nacional and Colo Colo made it through. Colo Colo knew that a point would probably be enough. It would only not be enough if Delphin had won or Bolivar won by four, I think it was. So, yeah, the Colombians and the Chileans are happy progressing from this group. Simon, I'll come to you to talk a little bit about the game before I have my say on Colo Colo. Yeah, not a whole a load to say, really. Um, Nacional, a comfortable performance at times, although he probably gave away the biggest opportunity of, of a goal in this game. A lot of good possession, Camposano moving the ball well, the fullbacks pushing on, but not a lot of penetration. It's kind of a worrying sign for Nacional because... They've got some good quality players, but they need to find a way of creating clear-cut chances. And in this game, they never really looked look like doing it. A lot of the best chances were long-range efforts and crosses. You know, the the movement of Dado Moreno is really good, and they'll look for those one-twos off, off of him. And again, it's a big step up of the more direct, powerful, but less effective forwards. But the issue with Nacional is they can only score really good goals at the moment. Um, they've been very solid at home. They had a few lapses here and there. Colo Colo counted fairly well. But, uh, yeah, this is the concern. They they never really opened up the Colo Colo defence, which were organised. You know, They could see that they had a clear game plan. They were very disciplined, and, and Nacional never really broke them down. The biggest opportunity came from the fullbacks overlapping, and there was a couple of good moments there. But, 
then they get to the edge of the box and they overcross it, which they won't win with Dada Moreno as the, the main striker and Alexa Magnelli Torres breaking into the box. Or they go back and then try and work it around, which is generally what they did, but they never really created a chance. The biggest opportunity in the game um, came as a result of a goalkeeping error. Monetti did a Cruyff turn at the edge of his box. Looked like he was in two minds between passing it, clearing it, controlling it, and kind of did none of the, the above. Um, Paredes was looked like he was going to score, and there was kind of a bundle into the back of him by the goalkeeper and a bit of a clumsy tackle. The ball broke away from a corner. Referee gave a corner. Another day, that's a penalty, and Nacional shoot themselves in the foot. In the end, they got through relatively comfortably, but it, it looked like two rounds ago that they were already done, already through. They made a bit of a meal of things. Um, but that said, they, they do progress. There's some good signs in terms of the build-up play, but they need to be more penetrative and dangerous in the final third because at the moment, they only score spectacular goals. If you think of Arsenal <laughs> a few years ago when they would pass it around the opposition box and, and never really do anything, Nacional have the potential for that kind of frustration as well. So while there's quality in the squad, I do think there's some work to be done in terms of making them more efficient and effective in the final third. Yeah, and just for, for me, from the from the Chilean perspective on this, um, there's a there's a minority of their fans, and uh, but it's a minority I sort of agree with, where this was somewhat of a bittersweet achievement from Colo Colo. Yes, it's great that they've made it through uh, to the knockout stage for the first time in 11 years, I think it is. You know, but they've been sort of uh, perennial underachievers in this competition over the last decade or so. Uh, but, you know, in Chile in recent years, a phrase that's uh, become popular is, is the term ratones, which kind of translates as mice. But its meaning, of course, is that a team plays very timidly, scared to attack. But strangely, I didn't hear it mentioned much by their fans last week during this game. As I've mentioned before on the South American football show, um, defensive football has become sort of a dirty word in Chile in, in the past decade or so, uh, thanks to the work of Bielsa and San Paoli. Uh, but even just before then, there was Claudio Borgi as well, who worked wonders with Colo Colo in the mid noughties playing some great football along with it. So, sort of over the last uh, 10, 15 years, there's been this tradition here in Chile of sort of attacking football, um, try and go for the win even if you need a draw. That certainly wasn't the case last week in Colombia, where Colo Colo quite clearly went for the point, really, and, um, and, and they got it. So, you've got to give credit to Hector Tapia. Uh, for that, he did well to turn this around from the, from the position. They were in after three games, so short term, the appointment has worked out in that sense. Yeah, I think, you know, the limitations, his limitations as a head coach, Tapio, are already being shown up in the league where they sit sort of 10 points off the leaders, Universa Catolica, at the halfway stage. When Tapio was appointed, I think I pointed this out on a pod a few weeks ago. I said that he might have a short-term impact like this, but over time you do see his weaknesses exposed. And, and one of the main ones is he's so reliant on, on certain individuals, especially the, the more experienced players. And, uh, and we saw that in the game last week as well, where 
you know, Esteban Paredes led the line really well for Colo Colo. I thought for the majority of the game, um, he could have got that penalty, as Simon mentioned. And even with that, Colo Colo could even snuck a 1-0 win out of this. But yeah, I think playing the sort of football that we've seen from Colo Colo um, so far under Dabia, I, I don't see it as the kind of football which will get them sort of beyond the quarters of this tournament. If they get a kind draw, maybe they can get past the last 16. But um, there's, there's quite a few negatives once you add it all up. I, f- I feel a little bit guilty for, for being like negative on this because you know it's also the first time a Chilean side has made it out the group stage since 2014 when Union Española managed it. The way they did it leaves me a little bit cold. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that opinion about the way Colo Colo progressed. But as you said, it's, it's probably probably best that they're, you know, focus on the positives of them getting through the f- for the first time in ages. Um, and I think if you if you look at the group as a whole, their draw with Bolivar away away in Bolivia was a really decisive um, game in terms of deciding who got that second spot because. You know, you'd think from a Bolivian point of view that if you can, you'd win all three games at home, and, and and if you can get something away, then you stand a good chance. But the fact Bolivar dropped points in that game means that I think that's what separated the two sides ultimately. And yeah, as as you said earlier, the Bolivians needed four clear goals to to win against. Uh, sorry, four clear goals to qualify, um, and they got a two nil. Um, lead from a brace from Juan Mi Callejon, their Spanish midfielder. First first goal of which was an absolute La Paz special. He was on the left-hand side, sort of cutting onto his right and then just unleashed a beautiful beautiful arrowed finish into the top corner. Bolivar had chances as well. There was a huge miss from Fierro. Uh, he was two, year, two yards out and hit the post. Um, and at 2-0 up um, with you know most of the second half to go, you kind of thought, um, you know, Bolivar could well do this, but then there was a really poor goal they conceded. Um, cross came in from the right from Delphine Blair, and it looked like Quinones would, would probably gather it, but Ronald Raldez stuck out a leg in front of him and diverted it into his own own net. So at that point, it was, yeah, the, the momentum was was taken, taken out of the game. And even though Delphine went down to 10 men, um, they had about 25 minutes to see if they could get a couple more goals and, and didn't really muster too much. So disappointing from Bolivar. Um, but yeah, um, it's uh, probably the the best of the two sides in the group that have, uh, they've gone through. Let's move on to Group 7, where the current Copa Sudamericana holders, Independiente, knew they had to beat Deportivo Lara to advance, and that's exactly what they did, Tom. Yeah, it was uh, it was a game that you kind of always expected Independiente to win, um, but that such as the sort of way the the group went, which I think pre-tournament we looked at, looked at it as one of the more exciting ones, and it was 
definitely helped by the the competitiveness of Deportivo Lara, who I don't think any of us expected to do as well as they did. So the fact that Independiente were going into the last round, still needing to book their place in the knockout stages, meant that there was some excitement. Um, obviously, it was in their own hands, so, so that helped. And they were playing at home. You always fancied them to get the result. And yeah, they, they managed to get the 2-0 win. Um, goals either half from Martin Benitez and Emmanuel Gigliotti. Um, and yeah, realistically, it was a, a very one-sided game. It was an absolutely fantastic performance from Benitez, I've got to say. He got the first goal, he got the assist for the second one. He was constantly dribbling, trying stuff. I think he hit the crossbar twice. Um but there was a an element of luck about their first goal. He uh, Benitez took the uh, took a corner, and it was a sort of low in swinging one towards the near post. Few players tried and missed, and and the keeper could only push it into the net really. So uh, that that put them on their way. And after that, there was there was no coming back for for Lara, who yeah aren't as good away as that as they are at home. Um, Gigliotti putting the game to bed uh, with an emphatic finish. So yeah, it was uh, it was it was a good result, and again, like I mentioned earlier, uh, El Brujo Manuel's presence proving uh, decisive as well. Um, so yeah, good good to see Independent in the next round because I think they're an attractive side. Um, they just need to be a bit more uh, prolific in front of goal. They're, they've been quite wasteful up till now, but yeah, glad to see them through because I think they'll do all right. And the other game in this group saw Corinthians, who had already pretty much wrapped up the group, surprisingly, well, somewhat surprisingly, lose 1-0 at home to the Colombian side, Millonarios. This included an absolutely superb performance from a World Football Index favourite, No Simon, as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the name on everyone's lips after the game was Wilco Farinas, the young Venezuelan goalkeeper who looks inevitable that he'll go to Europe you know, very soon, possibly this summer. We'll have to see what happens. But he's exceptional. His, his reactions are incredible. It was a real, it was a fun Libertadores game. You know, the underdogs, Millonarios. It's a big side, but going away to Brazil against a, a giant club in Corinthians, we're always going to be you know, under under the under the pressure, and they they did really well. <laughs> they they always had a bit of an outlet. Salazar, the young winger, is is very impressive. Adam Del Valle is a good finisher, but the story was really about some heroic defending and plenty of you know dramatic acrobatic saves from Cafarinas. His reactions are so good. Um, there was there was one which was a, a powerful shot, a real powerful shot from the edge of the box, and the fact that he not only saved it but he sent it. Beyond the kicker, into you know up towards the halfway line with a powerful punch, it shows that he's not just quick, but he's strong and he's gets his positioning right so he can get a strong fist on it. He makes spectacular saves, which you'd think of a fingertip claw away, you know, just just pushing it out anywhere it can go. He not only makes a save, but he sends it out. Of it, you know, while he's not the biggest and he's not the most dominant in the air. His technique and his reactions are so good that he can not only make the save but also do it well, get it clear, get get it out of there, out of the area. So, you know, I'm not a goalkeeper, I'm not an expert, but I think there's a lot to really appreciate about the way he goes about his business, his reactions. He's very very impressive. And in this game, it was a yeah, you know, a defensive performance, but one which had a bit of a counter attacking 
threat to it as well for Millonarios. They needed the outlet to alleviate some pressure. And with Salazar and Valencia on the wings, they had a bit more of that. You know, before the tournament, we spoke a lot about how they were okay, but their midfield was a bit, you know, solid, six, seven out of tens all over the place. So I'm going to make many mistakes, going to be disciplined. But later in the tournament, we've seen them bring in the likes of Salazar to bring them a bit more pace and a bit more creativity on the break. And that's been important for them. So in this game, they did that and they withheld the pressure. Uh, and in the end, they, they got the win thanks to a superb volley from Cesar Carrillo. The ball was breaking at the edge of the box and it bounced quite high, bounced kind of above his hip, had to get over it and he volleyed it perfectly, dipping volley into the top corner. Definitely one worth checking out. And it's just the kind of perfect ends to this kind of game where the club's under pressure for 90 minutes and they, they snatch a spectacular volley towards the end and then have to hold on. So for all of the positives, Mijanarios are out. They saved some of their best performances to the end of the, the group and, you know, kind of mixed feelings, but uh, disappointing, obviously, that they couldn't progress, but uh, a good result to end their campaign on. Let's move on to Group 5. Now, going into this group, there was two things still to be decided. The first of which, which was top spot in the group. So, I'll come to Tom on this. Uh, Racing and Cruzeiro went head-to-head -to, -head to see who will come out on, on top in this group. And it was the Brazilians who just edged it. It was indeed, and I've got to say this is probably one of the, certainly the best halves of football I've seen in the Libertadores this year. Um, two of the most attacking, uh, fun teams to watch in, in the tournament, and yeah, the, the both ties that they've faced up uh, have been really, really good. So the, And the game got off to a cracking start as well. Thiago Neves um, got the first goal. There was There was a really nice... No look pass from Enrique that saw Sasa get to their byline and pulled it back. Uh, Tiago Neves managed to get that goal, and then the second goal after about ten minutes, I think, um, Lucas Silva, who used to be at Real Madrid, sort of showing some of the form as to why they bought him in the first place. He, he robbed the ball in the middle of the park, took it forward, cut in into his right, and uh, fired in a, a lovely little daisy cutter. So that that really stunned Racing and. You know, being two goals down after such a short amount of time, but they they managed to get one back from Ricky Sindurion, and there was like a sort of an attack down the right, ball looped up, and Ricky was all alone to to volley it in. So that that, that was another nice goal, uh, three nice goals um, in the game, all in the first half. And second half wasn't quite as good, but yeah, again, yeah, I I really enjoyed it. It was a uh, was uh, a shame that Racing couldn't get that top top spot after the way they started the tournament. But Cruzeiro have really shown that they're, they're a force to be reckoned with. And you know, they started a bit slow, but now they're, um, now they're really kicking into gear. And I can see why a lot of people, including Austin, fancy them for the title. So this, this was a group that we, again, thought was going to be one of the most entertaining. And, and these two teams played a big part in 
in that. And another point to to note is that it was looks like it was Lautaro Martinez's last game for for Racing, certainly for now, anyway. Um, so shame that he couldn't get a, a win or a goal to to say goodbye. But it's been an absolute joy to watch watch him play as well. So yeah, fun fun game. And and how do you see that affecting Racing's chances of, of, of possibly winning this competition? To me, it seems like a, a killer blow, really, to their hopes. But I, I see that some of their fans are, are, are still optimistic. Yeah, I think he certainly gave them an X factor up front, a real clinical finisher and lots of energy. But I think I think there's good reason to be positive, you know, uh, Lisandro Lopez can still go, do a good job at this level. Centurion's in amazing form, even though he didn't quite make the Argentina squads. And they've got some other good young players who, who might be able to step up, like Brian Mancilla. Um, Zaracho's played very well. And you imagine with the amount of money they've got coming in that um, they'll be able to lure some, maybe a big-name replacement. Because other than that, the rest of the squad will probably uh, stay more or less the same so I, th- I think there's still reason to be to be excited especially with uh Coudet as manager someone who plays attacking football and done well in cup competitions before I think I think it, I wouldn't write them off just yet or maybe Diego uh, Melito comes out of retirement <laughs> maybe <laughs> um the the other thing to be decided in this group was the Copa Sudamericana spot um, Universidad de Chile were in pole position to take that. They knew that um, if they got a point, or a, obviously a win, a win, a point, or or they could even afford to lose one 0 at home to Vasco, then then they would then they would grab that spot. And, and with a few minutes left, they were losing one 0 so they were still heading through. But then a defensive howler from Gonzalo Jara meant that. Vasco da Gama claimed a 2-0 victory and that sent the Brazilian side uh, through in, in, in third place to the Sudamericana. So, yeah, uh, just quickly on, on Lou before we move on because, you know, we've spoken a lot about them on this podcast throughout the tournament and there's not a great deal to say on this match really. Um, you know, Lou were predictably disappointing in this one, I thought, um, without many key players and their and their breakout star of 2018, um, Angelo Areos, uh, they were they were pretty flat without him uh, dictating things. And and under the new manager as well, well the caretaker manager, should I say, Esteban uh, Valencia, you know, they're, they're not a side with great depth of this level. Um, I think, you know, pretty much the whole spine of the team was missing. Um, while Vasco, meanwhile, you know, they spoke a lot in the press before the game. Uh, they were hungry to grab the Sudamericana spot. And and I think it showed in this in, encounter. They took a lead on 15 minutes through uh, Bruno Silva. And, uh, and and like I mentioned uh, before, it was, uh, it was a defensive howler from Hara with eight minutes to go. Uh, it's kind of, he tried to head it back to, to lose goalkeeper, uh, Fernando de Paul who was standing in for for Johnny Herrera and uh, it didn't quite reach. And, and Pikachu, the Pokemon, 
for Vasco da Gama. He sneaked in and uh, I managed to... Poked it home? Poke it home, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was just coming on to that. <laughs> Sorry, need to get in there, steal it from you. <laughs> just steal in like Iago himself and uh, yeah. and get that, get that goal ahead of you. Fitting, really. Yeah, indeed. So, yeah, disappointing after all, because at one point in this group, yeah, Universidad Chile they won their first game away to Vasco 1-0 and then in that second game against Racing they were 1-0 up so at that point they were on six points in the group and they looked well placed to, to qualify they got pegged back in that game and, um, and they only picked up two points since so yeah they finished on five points which is pretty disappointing from, from a position they were, they were once in in the group um, but it, it looks like uh, things might be looking up for Lou going into the second half of the year as, uh, as they've appointed a new manager, Frank, uh, Frank Kudelka. Is that how you pronounce it, Tom? Frank Kudelka, yeah. Kudelka, yeah. He used, did a great job at Tajeres. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, so he's, uh, he's, he's going to be taking over you know, the work he did he did there with Taleres and uh, Cordoba. He took them basically from the third tier in in Argentine football to the first tier. No, Tom. Yeah, I mean they they were one of the sort of sleeping giants of Argentinian football. They're probably the biggest side in Cordoba. Although, don't tell that to my girlfriend's family. Um, but yeah, that he's brought them back to their rightful place and managed to get them. I think he got them uh, Libertadores spot um, for for next year. So. He's done fantastic work with them, and I think that'll be a really good fit for him to to move up to a, a bigger club. And I, I back him to do quite well there. Yeah, I think we'll be seeing them in the playoff round next next year, if I if I remember rightly, for for the Libertadores. Yeah, so it'd be interesting to see um, how how he work with some of the talented youngsters they have there at Lou, and uh, and and, they, and they've still got a chance of winning a title in in Chile and being back in the Libertadores next year so yeah let's uh, let's see how that unfolds Let's move let's move on to group 4 which saw uh, Santa Fe put in a bit of a Little, too little, too late performance for their Libertadores uh, campaign, but they did at least seal their Sudamericana spot emphatically with a three-nil victory over Emelec. Simon, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, it was kind of uh, disappointing that they couldn't have performed this way before. Um, their captain Tessijo opened the scoring, uh, a corner whipped in. It kind of broke him in the box, completely unmarked, really. Controlled it and, and rolled it in, and that was that was one nil, and that was really key to be honest. The game after that opened up; there were more chances both ends, but Santa Fe always looked kind of the more more penetrative, the more composed in the final third, um, and it was a very good win in the end. The second goal was a really nice finish from uh, Morello, a guy who scored a lot in the the qualifying stages, the, the preliminary qualifying stages. But wasn't so effective in the in the group stage. He picked the ball, cut inside the defender really nicely, 
rolled it in, curled it round into the bottom corner, a really tidy finish. Uh, and then the game was won and, and done and dusted shortly after with a cross, uh, Anderson Blatter cutting in from the right-hand side, bent a perfect cross to the far post, and then Padjoy followed it home with a lot of quality. Not a player I've always rated, but a really nice finish. Um, he does have his moments. After that, <laughs> two red cards for Emelik, straight red cards for both their fullbacks, standard. We've got nothing left to play for in the Libertadores. Let's <laughs> express some frustrations uh, with our with our tackling and uh, and that was that. So Santa Fe Tecillo is now off to Mexico, which is going to be a huge blow for them. It may well um, impact them moving forward. They showed in this game that they do have a bit of quality. Some of the things that I hoped would be enough um, with the pace and the, the the danger they pose out wide. Especially with Plata, the finishing on Morello, that was all on display here. A little bit more defensive rigidity uh, would have been appreciated earlier in the tournament. So while they did have some ingredients I thought may help them sneak through, in the end, kind of a lack of quality and a lack of that Santa Fe steel and discipline in defence means that they're eliminated, but they do get the Sudamari kind of place. Kind of par for the course. They're not as good as they have been in the past. <laughs> Even if we've been critical, they were at least efficient and effective. They lacked a bit of that this time round. Moments of quality. Platter has his moments. Very quick, skillful, can look top, top quality. A bit of a budget Arjun Iron Robin, but uh, at times he can look like a budget Jermaine Pennant. Um, so, you know, some positives from Santa Fe, but uh, unsurprisingly, eliminated i'd say in the end what i found about weird about this game as well was how how emelec actually looked like quite good initially and they 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 caused um the santa fe defense a few problems zapata had to pull off a few brilliant saves because they've been absolutely terrible in this libertadores campaign which is was a bit of a surprise going in but it's weird that they also sort of saved up well initially a, a decent attempt uh to get something out of this game as well. And I mean, it's also worth noting that Jefferson Montero didn't even come off the bench. So while we did see a few, a few flashes early on, we thought maybe he could be key for them. He, uh, yeah, we didn't feature at all in this game. And I think maybe that could have been a game changer. If he was on his best form, maybe he could have kind of inspired something more from them in this, in this stage, in his group stages. But obviously he hasn't hit the ground running as we maybe hoped he might do yeah he's he's certainly been very disappointing as we've mentioned before on the pod has as have emelik um so uh, the other match in this group so river plate uh draw nil nil at home to flamengo now that means that river plate win the group um flamengo could have won it if, if they had grabbed a win here but river plate in first flamengo in second and uh river plate Despite you know a fair amount of criticism there in Argentina, I think this year on their performances, um, yeah, they did only score six goals in six matches. So yeah, is it? But, but they weren't they weren't anything special by any means. But they do emerge as do Flamengo from this group unbeaten. Uh, those two sides, um, but yeah, a real lack of goals uh, overall. Yeah, I think. Um... It was almost fitting that these two sides played out a nil-all draw because neither have conceded 
many and, and they haven't scored many either too but as you said there's quite a lot of positives River can take out of this Libertadores group because especially after the the way they went out of the Libertadores semis last year and after that they just their heads were completely gone for six months or so and, and they started off the league in terrible form but Ever since their two-all draw against Flamengo um, at the start of the Libertadores campaign, I think they've gone 17 unbeaten in all competitions. And they've just gone a lot more pragmatic. They've sorted out their defence. And that, that has sort of been the, the key to their success. And particularly ever since their Supercopa win against Boca, their, their league form's actually been really good. Um, so at the start of the tournament, I didn't think River were going to necessarily do much. But they've grown into it and they're starting to click. I think it was the 13th clean sheet for Armani in a, in a river shirt, um, which has obviously helped his world cup chances. And he's, he might still go into the world cup being Argentina's number one. Um, but yeah, just looking at the game itself, there wasn't a lot to get excited about. It was maybe quite nice to see some of the young players on show. Um, uh, Paqueta, Jean Lucas, Vinicius for uh, Flamengo. And then, players like Sarachi and Palacios for for River. Um, I think, if memory serves me, the only kind of big chance in in the first half was um, was a cross that went right across the, the face of goal for River, and there were like three Flamengo players almost on hand to, to get a vital touch, but no one could get it, so it stayed nil all. Skoko had a good chance, Durado had a good chance in the second half, um, and there was a late, one that River could have snuck the victory when Diego Alves had a bit of a carious moment and and lost the ball to Santos Borre, but he couldn't quite get his footing and instead he instead of going for a shot himself, he teed up a teammate and Alves made the save. So yeah, nil all, but I think that means that River, the only Argentinian side to top their group, even if uh, all six d- did get through. Um, so there's positives to take from them and and you know they might even get a round of 16 match up with Boca if they're lucky or unlucky depending on how you want to look at it yeah and um given how that went last time i'm not sure we want it or not no <laughs> yeah it's always eventful Okay, and the final group we need to we need to look at uh, is Group One. I think this was probably the most cut and dried group in the Libertadores this year, um, given how it played out. Uh, Cerro Porteño go through in second in th- on thirteen points after a two after a three two win over Monogas. Um, while Gremio got first place with a one 0 win over. Defensor Sporting. Uh, Tom, tell us more. Well, yeah, the the Cerro Monagas game was actually pretty exciting. Um, there there wasn't a lot to play for because obviously Cerro and Gremio were already through, um, and it looked like a fairly routine victory for Cerro when they went two 0 up and they got a penalty at the start of each half. Um, again, the uh, the first uh, the first one was a. Uh, 
such a blatant penalty. Oyeo just got absolutely wrestled to the ground. Um, and then Churin got his fourth of the tournament. Um, and then the second half, it, it was um, Azam Mendia who got brought down. And then the substitute, Nelson Hayo-Valdez, who p- listeners might remember from his time at Borussia Dortmund and for the Paraguay national team. He blasted a penalty straight down the middle. So, yeah, it was 2-0 up and you know, it looks like they were going to top the group at that point because it was still nil all in the other game. But Monagas, they, they were giving a good go. Um, and they had some chances through Cadiz, Gonzalez and their substitute Rojas. They all looked quite lively. And it was uh, Gonzalez, who's sort of their talisman, who managed to get them back in the game he had a nice little run and shot that hit the post and and then Rockas was there to head in the equalizer and then shortly afterwards Cadiz got the equalizer where he sort of stretched out one of his long legs to to beat Silva to the ball um so yeah they, they looked like they'd looked like Sarah had mucked it up and it was it was two all but then in the in the final minute um Candia slipped in Valdez for his uh, second of the game. Um, and uh, quite an exciting finale, a 3-2 win. Um, Valdez will obviously get the, the plaudits for his two goals, but um, I definitely wanted to highlight Arza Mendia, the, the left-back. I think he's only 21, and he cleared one off the line in the first half and, and got the won the penalty for the second goal. And, and he's had a great tournament, I think. He's, he's provided three assists in total, and he's been a big part of why... Uh, Sarah have, have, have done well um, and then in the other game Gremio uh, got a, a fairly routine 1-0 win against Defensor Luan got the goal after 66 minutes um, to see Gremio top the group with 14 points uh, quite a dull game in comparison um, they were generally sort of just restricted to shots from range and, and eventually went in uh, I, thought, I thought the keeper could have done better for Luan's uh, shot, it kind of snuck in at his near post. Um, but Gaston Rodriguez, the goalkeeper, he's 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 not had many games under his belt, and he's I think he's usually the second choice for them. So yeah, it was a uh, fairly routine, and Gremio have looked professional. They haven't really been tested from quite a, an easy group, but they've scored a lot of goals and they only conceded two. While for Defensor, I I think in um, the Libertadores preview that we did on for World Football Index, um, which everyone should check out. See how see how our predictions went. Um, I said that defence all might struggle in front of goal now that they've lost Carneiro and Maxi Gomez. So they only got five goals in six games, and I think that's why they just didn't have enough to challenge Cerro or Gremio. But they'll be, they'll be happy with a, a place in the Sudamericana. So yeah, that was. Uh, as you said, a, a fairly cut and dry group uh, wrapped up. Okay, so that wraps us up for the group stage of the Copa Libertadores, and I think it's time really just to just to have a look at the composition overall, and uh, and 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 let's and let's see who we fancy will will go on and win the competition uh, from what you've seen so far. I've think this is actually a really difficult question I'm setting at this stage because of course the the wild card here is you know which which clubs can keep their key players no Tom yeah as with any competition in South American football it's it's very hard to say 
anything with certainty when you've got a whole transfer window ahead and there's a lot of players who will go off to Europe or, or elsewhere. So um, I'd be hesitant to make any predictions at this stage, but I think we've seen six Brazilians and six Argentinians go through with only what, two Paraguayans, one Colombian, one Chilean. So I don't think it's um, too controversial to say that the winner's probably going to come from Brazil or Argentina. Uh, I think from an Argentinian perspective, I think all four of the Buenos Aires Grandes could have a decent shout. Um, I think Boca will get better, um, although if they lose Pavon, that'll be quite a big blow to them. I think Racing, Independiente and River um, can all get better and, and can mix it with the best of them. I don't see Tucumán or Estudiantes getting too much further, but, you know, never write off Tucumán. For me, I would say that probably the winner will come from one of Palmeiras, Gremio or Cruzeiro at the moment. Um, that would be my, that would be me narrowing it down slightly. <laughs> okay. And, and Simon, how, how do you see it panning out from, from here on in? Yeah, you know, I think um, Cruzeiro have looked a lot better uh, recently. Um, they're building something quite interesting there. Racing, it's a shame. I think uh, Lautaro Martinez is going to be a huge, huge loss for them. They're still a good team. Obviously, Centurion is, is very, very dangerous. But I think they've lost a lot of their, lot of their creativity, a lot of their edge in the final third, missing out on, uh, losing out to Martinez. Maybe they'll bring someone in. They've got plenty of time and a bit of money now. Um, so that would be interesting. Gremio... Luan obviously is is key for them. Very exciting player. We'll see if he's still around <laughs> at the end of the summer. But I think he'll be important in terms of Nacional, which is Colombia's only remaining representative. Again, I think they're very strong at home, but I think away they're a little bit vulnerable defensively, and they're not quite as dangerous as they could be in terms of quality. I think it's it's there, but I do worry that they make things hard for themselves. There's talk of Dolan maybe coming in. It will be a big, big buy. His contract runs out at the end of the end of June, so if they could sign him, I think that's that's a game changer for them. A bit more pace, a bit more penetration in the final third. I like Lenis. I like I like a lot of things about Nacional, but I you know I think they've they've struggled in some of these these games against weak opposition, Delphine, and uh, that's a that's a big concern. So yeah, I'd say Cruzeiro for me have caught my eye. I think Santos have some good players, but tactically are really lacking. Um, you know, especially connecting the front three is, is a big issue. They've got quality there, but I can't see that really working out long term and having the grit to, to get through. So for me, yeah, Cruzeiro have been kind of a, a late, interesting addition um, and a potential contender. So, yeah, maybe, maybe let's say Cruzeiro for me. And for me, you know, Austin, um, he'd be pleased, I think, to, to hear my prediction. Uh, or not? Maybe he thinks I'm going to jinx it. But yeah, I, at this point, if I if I if I had to put money on it, I would say that Palmeiras uh, for me are, 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 are the most impressive side I've seen in this competition, especially given the the difficulty of their group as well. Uh, Cruzeiro came good in the end, but I did see them in person here in in Santiago, and uh, you know. <laughs> They were pretty average that night, so they've improved a hell of a lot since then, it has to be said. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I still see Palmeiras as the, as the team to beat this year. 
yeah, so for those wondering um, when when we find out who's, who, um, which teams are playing each other in the last 16 of this competition, we, you need to keep an eye on our Twitter feeds on Monday the 4th of June, as, uh, as, as that's when the draw will be made. Um, so just a bit more information, really, about that draw. So any of the teams in pot one can face any of the teams in pot two. So it doesn't matter which countries they're from. A Brazilian side can play a Brazilian side. An Argentine side can play an Argentine side. And also, uh, if even if the teams are in the same group, they can also face each other in the last 16. So, so we could be seeing some repeats of the matches we saw in the group stage. Hopefully not, though. So the next round of matches will take place in early August. Well, the first legs in early August and the second legs in late August. And the quarterfinals take place September-October, semi-finals in October, and then the final in November. So some dates for your diaries there. Um, just to round off this pod, um, I'll come to Simon to see if he's got anything to plug with the World Cup on the horizon. Yeah, I've done some bits and pieces here and there about Colombia uh, getting into the World Cup spirit of things. So there's bits and pieces, other pods and other things here and there. Uh, Colombia squad's going to be finally, finally announced. We're almost we're almost there. I think there's one more person to be confirmed. Uh, Peckerman likes to keep us waiting. But I've got some stuff on the squad and, you know, what I think of Colombia and, and some of the players to watch out for from the Colombian side on my Twitter. So at Simon Edwards SAF for, for build up and previews and reactions and all that World Cup goodness. Yeah, certainly check that out. And Tom? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at TomRobber89. Obviously, you have lots of World Cup chat coming up, um, I think. We should have a podcast previewing the group stages um, for the World Cup coming up soon. I'm going to record the group with Argentina in later today, so keep an eye out for that. And other than that, we've got our latest scouting spotlight pod on Wilmar Barrios, um, who's a target for Spurs, among other clubs. So that's a good listen. And my last plug will be for a piece that I've got out on uh, Nacional's midfielder Christian Oliva who's been somewhat of a revelation in the last six months so yeah lots of stuff going up and yeah just keep having a look on my timeline yeah and uh, you can follow me at Adam Brandon 84 on Twitter uh, at the moment I'm still counting down to the World Cup with my with my 90 minutes uh, pieces for the World Football Index website so uh Give, give, those a, give those a look if you haven't already. I'm also working with Austin to try and produce um, eight uh, preview pods, so a preview pod for each of the World Cup groups um, over the next two, three weeks. That's certainly going to be a difficult challenge, uh, but hopefully we haven't been too overambitious uh, uh, and, we're, and, we're, and we're make that happen. So uh, please check out those pods. Be sure to check out uh, the excellent Scouting Spotlight series on our network as well. There's also some excellent South American football shows from recent weeks. One discussing uh, women's football in South America. Another discussing um, uh, coaching um, here in South America as well. With a focus on 
uh, why there's so many Argentine and Uruguayan coaches on, on the continent. Uh, but, you know, those pods have, have uh, garnered quite a positive reaction. So be sure to tune in for those. And it's just left for me to say a big thank you to our listeners. Rate and review us on iTunes if you can. A huge thanks to Simon and Tom for joining me. And it's goodbye.